So I took this job to go to Apple because societally, like, that's what I was supposed to do. How would you, like, turn down a job at Apple, especially, like, a couple years out of school? You know, I could tell my, my mom could finally tell her friends what I did for a living. You know, I could get my teeth fixed. You know, I could get a little stock, like all these things. Like that was supposed to be it. Cash it in, call it a day, go chilling, you know, in the Bay, in the Bay Area. And I went out there and, you know, I was living and loving New York City at that point about, you know, I don't know. I went to school here in uh, four or five years and I went out there and it just, no shade for the, for the folks in the Bay, but it was just like, it wasn't for me. Hey y'all, today's show, you just heard from him, Timothy Goodman, an amazing human. Also uh, an award-winning artist, graphic designer, author now of, of, of several books. And he's done some amazing public speaking. I've seen him speak uh, at, gosh, one of the design trade shows. His art and his words are so beloved to me that I have commissioned him uh, in the past, and I have recommended him to other friends who've done, he's done, you know, big, serious projects at, at both home and commercial scale. Uh, he's been on walls, buildings, packaging, shoes, clothing, books, magazine covers, galleries, you name it, all over the world for his fine art and also with brands like Nike, Apple, Google, MoMA, Netflix, Tiffany. I mean, list goes on and on. Um, he, you may know him from his Sharpie art. That was his early work. Uh, and it was also uh, a book called Sharpie Art Workshop, um, which was one of the ways that I first became acquainted with Timothy's work. Um, he's ran a number of social experiments that got really a, a wide ranging and wide reaching acclaim. One in particular called uh, 40 Days of Datings sorry, called 40 Days of Dating, um, whose TV rates, I think were optioned off to Netflix. Um, this was where he dated someone and they chronicled all of the different dates, the steps, the experiences that they were each having. Fascinating, super fascinating. Um, I think Timothy mostly identifies as a New York artist. He says that in our earlier in our conversation. Um, I met him in San Francisco and he does talk a little bit about that in today's show. But more than anything, today's show is wide ranging. It covers not just how to be a world-class artist, but I think importantly, the foundational aspects of how to go about doing that. What is the importance of mental health, mental hygiene? What is self-awareness? How does one's own toxicity play into the universe around us? How do we relate with others? Timothy is so self-aware, talks a lot in, in this uh, show about uh, relationship, um, relationship with himself and with others. We also talk about toxic masculinity, which I think is a, a topic that deserves a little bit more attention than it has gotten on this show and uh, maybe even pop culture at large. All of this and we cover his new book called I Always Think It's Forever, a love story set in Paris as told by an unreliable but earnest narrator. This is an amazing book, you guys. I have it in my hands. It's beautiful. It is a graphic memoir, very non-traditional format that is absolutely chock full of love and brilliance. You're not going to want to miss it. So again, yours truly in today's show with Timothy Goodman. 
Ladies and gentlemen, guess who's on the show today? It's Timothy Goodman. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I we were just uh, talking before I hit record, which I always I should hit record earlier, but I know, we were talking good stuff. Uh, it's there's good stuff, but you are on a tear right now. Uh, Time magazine cover, a new book, a Nike shoe. I mean, um, there's a lot going on, and at the heart of it is this amazing love story, which is one of the things we're going to talk about today, but. For the few people who might not be familiar with you or your work, orient our audience around <laughs> around uh, you and your work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a New York City-based designer, muralist, illustrator, author, artist. You know, people get so hung up on that word artist. I think for a long time, a lot of designers, like, they get nervous to call themselves an artist. And, uh, you know... They think they're, you know, I don't know, there's too much ego involved in it or something. But no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an art artist at this point. You know, my grandma calls me an artist. Everyday people would look at my work and say, "You're an artist." That's what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm an independent visual artist. I've been working for myself for about 11, 12 years, awesome. and uh, I do a lot of different things. I'm an expressionist. You know, uh -huh. however, I need to I need to get the things inside out, whether and that comes in many different forms. It's it's spoken word poetry. It's social experiments I've done. It's wall murals. It's commercial projects. Uh, it's writing books. It's you know, um, it's, it comes out in a lot of different ways and on a lot of different topics that are important to me, you know, and that's the real shit about love and heartbreak and the human condition and politics and you know, social issues and, um, yeah, you know, in New York city, I love making work for New Yorkers about New Yorkers. It's very important to me giving back to communities and kids. And so we out here, we're trying, you know, trying to, <laughs> to, to do it. We out here. Uh, <laughs> well, well, I think some of the things you said, I'm going to put a pin in a couple and I'm going to save them, but I want to go straight at the one, which is all that you're an expressionist and that you have stuff inside and it has to get out and you pick a medium in, mm -hmm. in which to do that. And then you, you go down that path and you express that thing in the best medium possible. Uh, I I'm going to venture to say that there's a lot of people out there who look at that and say, I would love to do that. I would love to think like that. And yet it terrifies me because I'm really only good at one thing. I'm a designer or I'm a photographer or mm -hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. So with your work, did that, was that an experiment that you ran and you said, Hey, look, I can do spoken word poetry on a stage or I can take yeah, yeah, this yeah. Can, canvas. And when I translate that to a mural, it actually works. Were you, is this a series of experiments and yeah. did you have confidence? Was you, were you terrified? And, and think about this through the lens of someone who wants to do what you're doing, but well, two, feeling two, things. two things, two okay. things. Number one, I don't believe that, um, uh, there's no such thing as being fearless. I hate that shit. You're always scared. There's always, a, you know, there's always something. You're, you're never not going to be nervous or fearful. Um, you just get better sometimes at being, you know, at like just getting over it, and, you know. And so I think that's number one. Number two, I'm a big jazz fan. And Miles Davis used to always say, you have to play a long time before you're able to play like yourself. And it's the same way with artwork. You know, you have to make a lot of shit before you can like start to understand how to make shit like yourself. Mm. Um, and so 
early on when I had, I, right out of school, I graduated in like 2007, 2008 from SVA here in New York City. I was a book jacket designer in my first year. Then I went immediately, I started working for Brian Collins and branding um, for two and a half years. And then I went to Apple out Cupertino and I worked a year there. So the first four, four and a half years, I had this intensive like, yeah, and I was working long hours on a lot of different things. And in, at the same time, every night, weekends, I was like, you know, there's a lot to be said about the, about, it's not about like praising hustle culture or anything, but at where I was as a young designer, I needed to like, my finding my voice mattered. So I, any time I could find, you know, nothing's possible without making time for it. Yep. And I would try to find the time to make stuff on the nights, weekends. Like I was doing editorial illustrations. I was trying to, it was bad Photoshop things or vector or drawing, just trying to try, you know, you got to put that 10,000 hours in. And I think through that process, I kind of like found my niche, you know, and I did my first mural while I had a full-time job in 2010. Um, and then I kind of like never felt more stimulated because of that, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally. Like I was like, I asked myself an important question, like this feeling I have right now, how do I make this the feeling I have forever? You know, like, and, and you know, and a year later I quit my job. I, I realized I could like work for myself, you know, the money I was making just on the freelance, I could at least pay rent. And that was enough for me to really like try to go for it. Um, and as you know, so much of this is about promotion too. How do you like, yeah. you make the work and then how do you get it out? And that's part, you know, it's one thing to, to, to get over the fear of like making the things you might want to make that maybe you're not used to making. But then how do you like get it out? And, you know, and it's still scary to the music this day. You know, sometimes yeah. I, I might write or make art about, you know, really personal things. And I'm sharing that with an audience. And that's still to this hard to this day, very scary. It's always going to be scary, but that's why we're in it, you know, in so many ways. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to be said it's, about but, all that, but, but, and the promotion, that's the thing I want to talk about. The, I think going back to what you, you basically bookended that beautifully. You said the fear never goes away. And then you end with like, look at the, whether it's fear of your work or fear of promoting yourself or whatever, there's always something there. And at the heart of your message seemed to be to play through it. Now, there's another thing that was in there that you played through that I'm guessing people would be curious about, and that is you you sort of casually, appropriately waited, but you said, cool, I was doing this work while I had a full-time job, yeah. and then a year later, I was able to quit that job. I, you're, you're speaking sort of dream language to probably half of our listeners. Mm -hmm. So walk us through that process. Like, did you, was there... Do you have sort of vitriol about full-time employment or did you love it because it was because it helped you get to the new thing and how ought, you know, and as someone who has mastered this and gone on to have an amazing career, how did you think about that transition? You know, for me at the time, uh, it's hard for me, you know, it's hard for me to suppress the things that are really calling for me. Um, especially when I was younger, you know, like, like starting out in my career. So I took this job to go to Apple because societally, like, that's what I was supposed to do. How would you like turn down a job at Apple, especially like a couple years out of school? You know, I could tell my, my mom could finally tell her friends what I did for a living. 
You know, I could get my teeth fixed. You know, I could get a little stock, like all these things. Like that was supposed to be it. Cash it in, call it a day, go chilling, you know, in the Bay, in the Bay Area. And I went out there and, you know, I was living and loving New York City at that point about, you know, I don't know. I went to school here in four or five years and I went out there and it just, no shade for the, for the folks in the Bay, but it was just like, it wasn't for me, especially at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, you have, you know, and being at Apple, there's a certain level of like, you know, Kool-Aid you got to drink. And again, no shade to anybody. Cause like, we all have to make a living in this world. And, you know, and there's incredible people out there and incredible designers and creative folks and doing all kinds of amazing things. Um, but for me at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't right. You know, I was, <laughs> I was out there for like 14 months and I was like, I was a really bad employee, you know, like I was just, <laughs> I was like six o'clock hit. I was ready to get home and try to like, I was working on whatever freelance project I was doing, but that's what was calling me. And I had to, I had to honor that, you know, and it's a real privilege to be able to be in a position where you have full-time job and you can like do freelance work for not a lot of money to try to build up your brand or your style or your voice. Uh, but I, I felt, I felt the weight of that. And I was like, I'm going to take yeah. advantage of this as much as possible and see if I can like, you know, turn this into something, but I had to go out there to have the courage, yeah. to, you know, to come back, you know, it's like That's that hero's an, yeah. journey thing. You got to go away and like figure it out and then go back. And it's about listening to something inside. I think. Yeah, there is that calling that's deep in there that you know this is not for you. You're playing the game and you're doing so respectfully. Yeah. You, you you describe yourself as not the best employee, but there there was a honesty and some sort of level of integrity. It sounds like that you a deal you have with yourself mm-hmm. that you prioritized. Did that come naturally to you, or was that something that you had to? The honesty and the, the yeah, integrity, the what, yeah, the like to, listen to yourself, yeah, mm. because you know people have a hard time. Uh, I feel like my biggest transformations were when I learned to trust myself, even though it was counter mm. to the stuff that people share with you, people tell you, even if these are people who love and care about you, your boss at Apple, your mom, yeah. you mentioned your grandma, like, yeah. And when you said, you know, mom can say I work at Apple, <laughs> that you know she wants you to get a job at Apple versus yeah. like. I'm going to go draw on walls and hope yeah. it works out is yeah, not really yeah. a good strategy for mom. So how did you balance the, your own personal integrity knowing what you listening to your intuition mm-hmm. with, you know, making mom, grandma, your boss at Apple and your career counselor from SVA, how do you make them <laughs> happy? You know, my story is different because, you know, I went to school a little later, uh, in my late teens and early twenties, I painted houses and homes in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm from. Uh, and I worked for this guy, Dave, who was like my life mentor and he had this incredible clientele with these, we were working these huge homes in Cleveland and I was at first a fuck up, you know, I could not, like, I barely graduated high school. I was doing different drug every weekend. Couldn't, didn't think I had a 1.7 GPA. And then I started painting homes cause I couldn't go away to college. Didn't want to go away to college. All my friends went away and I was painting homes and at some point something clicked and I became really good at my job, and but it was hard work. It was labor for many years, and I still that still lives with me. There's an honor in that that I I still like really um, yearn for. 
uh, and there's an achievement in it, a physicality in it. So I started really getting good at this thing and there's a lot of honor there and it really there's um, later on now I can connect the dots because being a muralist and you know there's a physicality to my work that I was doing in the beginning of all this um, and the way I think about space and environments and walls. Um, but that's just to say that I don't take any of this for granted, you know, and I constantly like I was hauling buckets of wallpaper glue upstairs for 16 hours a day. So I this all feels like a dream to me, you know, even to be where I'm at now and even where I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, like all of this, um, it all pales in comparison to that. Um, and so I think in light of that, like when you're when I started doing like when I was at Apple, it was kind of like, wait, this is not I don't think this is really why I got in this. Like on one hand, yeah, I never want to kind of go back to Cleveland and have to paint homes and make $9 an hour or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I almost felt like more honor in that. I almost felt more accomplished in, in the work I was doing for people with people than I do now. And how do I get to a place where I can find more meaning and purpose in what I'm doing? Um, and I think all of that was coming to like a real like uh, fork in the road when I was at Apple. Um, and it was like, okay, I can maybe do this. Do I like, I don't have, you know, and listen, a lot of privilege built into that. I had a full time gig. I was saving money. I didn't have any real responsibilities. Any, you know, I didn't have a family or kids or um, crippling, you know, any crippling debt or anything that I felt like, you know, I felt like. You know, I also wasn't taking crazy vacations or I wasn't even buying furniture. I was doing, I was like, literally I had no furniture in my place in San Francisco. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. But <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was ready to like, okay, if I can at least pay my rent with the freelance I'm making part-time, maybe I can do this. And, and that in itself, even if I never kind of like I'm succeed and, and I put that in quotes, how we define success, but I'll be okay, you know, like as long as I'm feeling fulfilled inside, I got to go mm -hmm. for it. So uh, I love it. This is the perfect trend as you, you set me up because at some point later in the show, I was going to say, I'm personally interested in exploring this relationship between success and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like that, that, how do you find that? <clears throat> the, yeah. How do you, how do you do it? How do you like, how, what is it for you? Cause you, you, you clearly, I think you, you, it would be easy for us to say from the outside looking in that you have achieved a successful creative career, your list of clients, where your work appears, the range of your work, it all ticks the boxes of dude made it, dude's crushing it. And, you know, we opened the show with like this crazy momentum you're on. We're going to get to the book in a second, for example. And then I'm guessing you're where I'm interested in is like, how did you, what was your fulfillment ramp? Was it parallel? Did it lag success? Mm. Was it inverse to success? Like how, what was the relationship or what is the relationship between those two? And I'm hoping to, to learn from you so that, you know, myself selfishly and the listeners can think of this yeah. stuff when they're, when they're checking the boxes that mm. success is so rampant in our culture. It's pretty clear what that is, but this, this mystery piece called fulfillment. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? I mean, the snag is that like no matter how much success you might have uh that doesn't um that doesn't clear you of your mental health 
you know, uh, and how you feel inside and what's happening. And, and so I had to learn that the hard way, um, you know, about four years ago in 2018, which is what this book that I created, this graphic memoir is kind of off the heels of. In 2018, I went through really bad depression, a lot of suicide ideation, a lot of, um, you know, therapy and trying to come to grips with a lot of trauma I've had in my past and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to like, for the first time face that and 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 not avoid it or suppress it any longer and i think i had to realize too that so much of the like you know success that i might have had was kind of all in reaction to my childhood and to trying to prove people wrong because i was such a screw up you know as a teenager and and, and you know and, and trying to prove people wrong and people back home and like and then to come to grips with that and like, whoa, like I've been doing all this because for that, for them, like, what about me? What do I want? You know? And so yeah. this book, you know, really is this journey about like coming off the heels of that depression and, and heal and starting to heal and being like, okay, well, what do I want? What if not for my career, not for some impossible facade I can never keep up with, but like, who am I? And what do I want? And like so much of this was like, I never... I didn't have money when I was in college. I could never go on some sort of like study abroad program. I always wanted to go to Paris for a long time. What would it mean to try to, I can maybe do this now. I could go. I want to learn French. I want to attempt to learn French. I want to grow my hair. I want to have a birthday party. I want to do these things, you know, that are like big and small. Uh, and <clears throat> so that, those were kind of like the struggles have always been for me internally. Um, you know, and I've also had to like, it's been, it's been good because I've come to grips with like understanding my own loneliness. You know, so much of the work I create is about what it means to be lonely. Um, and you know, and really trying to like connect with that because I'm kind of existentially lonely no matter what is happening, how we, you know, good or bad single in a really happy relationship. I feel that. And I want to honor that actually a lot of like, I feel it makes me feel more connected to what it means to be human, to be raw, mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes I do my best work in those ways. I, I write things that I'm, you know, so yeah, it's about all of that in a lot of this, ways. The, <clears throat> the fulfillment piece, do you feel like creating a memoir was a piece in that path to fulfillment? If you can say that you feel fulfilled now mm. because of <laughs> looking backwards and being able to decide to do work on your personal past and the trauma that you experienced as a kid, the actual process of writing and drawing, creating this graphic memoir. Uh, let's just assume for a second, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for the co topic of conversation, let's assume you're fulfilled or even, or just more fulfilled than prior to doing that. What role did writing all this down, moving to Paris, starting to document your own journey through this stuff. What role did that play on this path to feeling fulfilled? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it just begs the, the statement of like healing is never linear. And even if you feel like you're at some sort of level, watch out because life is full <laughs> of tricks, you know? Uh, so I would never hesitate to say that I'm like fulfilled. Um, I think, I'm just more okay with not being okay about things sometimes. And I'm more okay with accept and with allowing in, you know, the good and bad days, like, like it might be the weather and honoring both. And so I think 
creating this piece definitely helped, of course, this book, this graphic memoir, um, you know, because I think that I've always had a fascination with what it means to make a case study out of something. And I've done this several times in my career. You know, it started 2013 with my really good friend, Jessica Walsh, who created this project, 40 Days of Dating, where we kind of like, you know, it was a social experiment where we dated each other and documented the whole 40 days. And we, you know, kind of came up with these set of rules that we had to obey. Um, and then she and I did another social experiment a couple of years after that called 12 Kinds of Kindness. We said, well, there's all this, there's like, you know, 140 kind of 12 step programs in, in America. There's nothing about your own apathy and your own selfishness. And what would it be able to create this? So I've always kind of had these, you know, we've done this several times, um, these kind of documentations of moments in my life uh, that I've always been fascinated with. And I think it's just like anything, man, you know, like humans have been telling stories forever, creative people, you know, filmmakers and writers and poets and, and, and uh, you know, all these people have been telling personal stories. And I think sometimes for, you know, if we want to talk about like the design industry, graphic design, I think sometimes there's a stigma that we can't do that about our, you know, but every other creative field does in a lot of ways. And I think that's a shame. You know, I think we have the tools as designers and art directors to tell stories to, to in more profound ways that maybe the audience hasn't seen before. Um, so I'm an advocate for that. Do you, that's beautiful. All, all of that. Do you, um, I want to turn the attention to the book now because this, um, I'm going to start with the title. I always think it's forever. A love story set in Paris is told by an unreliable, but earnest narrator. <laughs> First of all, amazing title. <laughs> well you. done. Um, but if you, would you park this in that same genre of these experiments or these mm. things that you was, did you set out to do that no. with this book? Mm. No. Okay. That's a good crisp. No. So then what was the, the, the process here? My only point of going to Paris was, you know, it was like punching in the time clock. I was ready for duty to show up for my life for the, for, you know, in this, in this way where it wasn't about anything else, but just truly trying to experience all that might come. Um, and so I started keeping a journal while I was there. I hadn't kept a journal in a very long time. Um, and I was really interested in just, you know, I, I always write poetry. I'm always writing about things that are happening. So I was doing a lot of that while I was there. Uh, and, you know, so that's pretty much all that it was. It wasn't until, you know, a, you know maybe a year after the whole journey during the pandemic, um, which I also think is an important part of that because I had more time to kind of like sit with it all. But finally, after like healing through this whole journey, this love affair and this breakup and all the things I've kind of gone through, I was able to kind of like uh, have some perspective on it. And I felt healed in a way where I could kind of like start thinking. And I just thought, oh, this is, I think, a really profound story. And I think a lot of people might connect to it. What would it look like if I made something out of it? And I just started kind of playing thinking about how a story might come together. I'd never really come kind of come up with a book proposal. I've, you know, I've had two books before. One was The 40 Days of Dating, which was kind of taking the blog and the social experiment and kind of applying it to book form. And there was a lot added to that, but it wasn't starting from scratch. 
Uh, and then I, I had a second book with it was a Sharpie art workshop, which is just a very workshoppy book about different things you can do with a marker. So this was, but this is not, I don't find this to be in the same vein as those kind of social experiments. This is really just, uh, you know, just a, a journey, uh, a documentation in a more linear way um, that I tried to capture. You know, it's, so. it's extremely profound. And as it tackles a lot of wide ranging topics, it, this, this mention of sort of healing and trauma and our past are yeah. this inward journey that we go on. And, um, without giving away the goose again, the, the, cause I, I, you, you really, if you're listening or watching right now, you really, you have to check out this book. It's incredible. And it, it'd be an amazing gift mm. uh, if you're into giving gifts, this, the journey that you, I would say, take yourself on because it's not really a went. You you took yourself on this journey, as you said. I was willing to punch the clock and show up for my life. Uh, but it's that's very wide ranging in subject matter. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you tackled, or you, I guess, um, shared a lot about, was toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm fascinated by that. You know, my, uh, I'm interested in looking more closely at the divine feminine. I talked to my wife, Kate, about mm. this, this stuff quite a bit. And I'm wondering, you know, as a, there's so much going on in your, in this memoir, in this book, aside from the brilliant art and your, your drawings, but I was curious if you could just open up a little bit about the, the toxic masculinity that you explore there um, yeah if you can define it just really generally for anyone who might not be familiar with the term um and or then go into a little bit about your experiences in mm -hmm. looking at that i mean i think it's about how to th how we think about men women of course too in different ways but specifically about men how we're socialized right to to be certain ways in society in this world um, and a lot of that, I think I subscribe to the idea that like, you know, I mean, obviously I just think that this world was built by us for us and, you know, understanding that how that privilege affects other people is kind of the first step. Uh, I'm fortunate to have people of all walks and backgrounds and genders in my life. Uh, and it's, it, no doubt I'm not like coming out of the womb thinking like a certain way, you know, I grew up in a community of, of a lot of toxicity. You know, we call all my, I, first of all, I didn't have a father growing up. I was always searching for this male influence, um, trying to find different mentors. And early on, all my father figures were like rapping rock stars and women were hoes and bitches. And, you know, and the way we talked about me and my friends when we were growing up, you know, and like, and there was a certain lack of acknowledgement and respect uh, that came along with it. And I think even as you grow and evolve and you might think you're, you know, you're, you're becoming someone who is more open to things, there's still these postures and these attitudes that we still carry around with us but as men, I think. Um, and I think that it's always been very important for me to kind of like, look inward on that because I have been someone ha who um, hasn't run away from my own vulnerability. And I think that there's a lot of men and myself included who 
you know, we c- this stuff is not binary. You can be quote unquote masculine and you can also cry and you can also go to therapy and you can also ask for help and you can also, you know, allow other people to be who they want to be and, and not feel threatened by that. These things can exist at the same time. You can be, you know, strong and soft. And I think that I wanted to kind of talk about that more and more uh, because it is kind of like, I think through a breakup, I think I can sometimes get on my kind of like toxic masculinity can kind of come out at times and I can get a little bit like, I can get on this ego trip of like, whatever, you know, and I think that I had to explore that more and more um, because, uh, you know, so yeah, I don't know if that answers it, the question abs- but well it's a i mean it's it no real answer you know? yeah <laughs> that's what i was gonna say yeah. you answered the question technically but there's so many questions that you and the, and the book really gets us to think and by us i just don't mean men either i'd say all genders yeah. like there's is there's inspiration to go inward and say hmm how much of this am i carrying around or either raise your awareness about it also um my, and thank you for that. I think there's that's a um, we got a long way to go culturally there. Yeah. The the backdrop of mental health is very prominent in your work generally, as you have already shared, but also in this book. Um, help, help paint a picture for the listeners about h- how you view your own mental health, your mental mm. hygiene. There, because there is a little bit of a downstream around how that affects men. I don't want you to feel like you got to. To yeah. specifically, you know, go into the, the dissect the male gender here, but let's just talk generally about sort of your view of mental health and hygiene, your own experiences, and how. No, but that's uh, real, man. Like that, it's yeah. like, a, you know, as men, we are programmed to kind of think like, well, I don't need help, I can handle it, or whatever, or I just suppress it, or that's not how. You know, I'm not saying like you. I don't think it's a conscious thing all the time, but I think a lot of times we're like, even with medication or whatever, it's like there's a shame in it or. I'm better that, or I don't need that, or that's only for women or like, you know, or therapy. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case, you know, it just doesn't have to be. And, and there's so much to be learned from that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, as someone who I've always been an advocate for therapy, I've been on and off with my therapist for 15 years. He's like my, I always say he's like my Robin Williams at Goodwill Hunting. I fucking love that man. You know, and we break all the rules. We, I hug him and, you know, text, <laughs> we text. And But he's like, to me at this point, he's like an older, uh, like established uncle who gives me advice on things, mm. you know, and just having like th- people get hung up on. I think some people, I think men, some men can get hung up on what therapy is supposed to be or I don't need that or, you know, that Tony Soprano thing. And it's like, it. it's just it can be someone you can talk to about, you know, who doesn't know, you know, anybody in your life can give you an objective point of view. You can talk about money. You can talk about your career. You can talk, you know, it's not just talking about what your mom or dad did to you, uh, you know, 30 years ago or something. So um, it's, it's been the backbone of like everything I've done, you know, creatively in a lot of ways uh, and how I approach my career, my life, uh, and I'm thankful for it, you know. Tell me about how the your relationship with Amy, you talk about finding love or love found you. Yeah. And this is, again, thinking of the backstory for the book. Um, 
you know, a love story set in Paris told by an unreliable narrator, you yourself, um, what role did that relationship have in your art and maybe this art, particularly this book, but just in your mental health? What, what did yeah. that love entering the picture? You know, was it a surprise? Were you looking for love? Um, just describe, describe how it entered and the role that it played. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it, but I was ready for whatever was supposed to come, you know, and that's what was supposed to come. And I was ready to go for it unapologetically at the time. Um, and so I did, things played out the way they did. And I'm thankful for that, you know, and I think that that's all part of the thing. I'm like, you you're showing up for yourself. It's like, you know, uh, I think I learned a lot from that. Of course, I learned more. I think every time, every relationship that doesn't work out, you learn a little bit more about who you are, what you want, what you don't want, and what you could do better next time. You know, how you could do things better next time, how you, you know, and all of that. And so for that, I'm super thankful. And if it wasn't for this book, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have, you know, if it wasn't for the story in this book, I wouldn't be in the kind of relationship I'm in now with my partner, Tina. Uh, and so I think all of it is, you know, everything is everything. It just kind of continuously <laughs> goes together in some way. And, uh, you know, but I, I've been reading a lot of Toni Morrison recently. And she said something like, uh, you want to fly? You got to give up the shit that weighs you down, you know? And it's really that simple sometimes. And, so. This, this is, if it was easy, I guess the way that I think about that is simple, but not easy, yeah. right? Is, is this book a way that you have elected to capture that process? That's it's simple in concept, but giving up the shit that weighs you down is hard work. And is this a documentation of your hard work or mm. is it something, is it something different? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a dot for sure. It's a case study about that. It's about what it means to finally show up for myself and that takes a lot of work, you know, and I think it, it lot, takes a lot of proactivity um, to, to do that. And it, took, it takes a lot of looking in the mirror, but they say ripe, ripe fruit falls quickly. So, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. And I think that's, that's, you know, something that, you know, I was, you got to be available for it. Mm. Your spirit's got to be available for it. You got to be ready for duty. Was this duty a calling? <laughs> was this duty a calling? Is, is, was there something prior to going Paris that said, you're going to go there and you're going to find some work and this is going to be part of showing up for yourself? Or was Paris originally an escape? Like, I got to get the fuck out of here. No, 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 no. As I said before, it's, it was definitely, it was, it was about going after, it was about running towards something, not running away from something. It wasn't about, you know, there's nothing for me to run away from in New York at that time or ever. I'm a, I'm a, I love New York. I've been here for 19 years. I'm going to die here. Like I arrived for the city, you know, and um, it was just about going after something at that time. You know, I, wa I really wanted to go uh, and do the things that I had never done before, um, you know, so and things that happened, they happened the way they did. What's <clears throat> so you know, I've said the word backdrop a couple um, times here, but as I'm thinking about um, my first experience with you and your work, um, you'd com been we commissioned you to do a thing, 
and it was beautiful watching you work and the process. And, and then I became familiar with you and started paying attention to these other projects you were doing, as I mentioned, something that's deeply, deeply personal, like this book. And as you've said before, like the ability to do, you know, big work on a global stage stage for a brand like Nike or any of the other ones that are in your, in your bio, how right now there are people who are listening that are saying like, cool, how do I reconcile that? How do I do deeply personal work? How do I do commercial work? How do I not, you know, how do I, you seem to flow seamlessly back and forth between those so elegantly that I think a lot of people have something to learn. So what would some advice that you'd share? You know, you really got to start where you're at, first of all. And also you got to reframe how you think about your work and the industry you're in. You know, I always say that, like, I don't, I've never kind of approached, and I don't even know if I can call myself a graphic designer, and, and a, definitely not in a traditional sense, um, but I've never approached design um, as a profession, I've really approached it as a practice. Mm. Uh, you know, doctors and dentists and therapists, like they're a practicing doctor and a pro and, and, but, but suddenly like, we're like, once you start putting, like, once you start thinking, believing in your title and believing in your, like this as a profession, I think that, uh, for me, things get dicey, you know, I, I want to approach it as a practice and something that's constantly evolving. Um, and I think that how you might want to play the game is it, it's different for everybody, you know, like how can you do commercial work and also start doing these things on the side? You know, is that about, is it all on the same, same Instagram page or do you make different Instagram pages? Do you make different websites? I, you know, I think it's really, a, it's different for everybody. Um, and so much of it too is about like, you know, when I wanted to do book jackets early on, I would just make fake book jackets and I would just send them to people. And I wouldn't say they're real. I'd just say letting people know that I can, I can make something that sort of looks like a book jacket, you know? And I think that like kind of getting into it that way is important too. It's a hard question, man. I don't, I don't know. You know, I've got, <laughs> no, but this is, this but is, but you got to start with where you're at. You know, it's like, everything's a process of course, you know, like it's mm. baby steps. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of trial and error, but you got to get it out there and throw it against the wall. If you're not trying to see what works and finding that sweet spot of like what gives you the most joy and meaning and also what resonates with an audience the most, like how do you find that little tip, that point? I think you got to keep throwing things against walls till you find that moment mm. and then roll with that. That's, I'm, um reminded of I, I wrote uh in in a book creative calling i wrote a line that says is the way you're working working and i keep coming back to that for myself and what i loved about your answer was that it was there's this a willingness for it not to be concrete and galvanized a willingness for it to be um you know like it works now, but what got you here is not going to get you there. So is this, yeah. is this, um, this is both, a, a um, grounds for crazy making because you're never, you've never arrived, but there's also <laughs> some, you know, there, but there's some sort of, um, 
there's like an openness in that answer. And I'm thinking I'm going to say this, your, your philosophy generally, it appears that look at it's sort of day by day. It's all start with where you are. And at the same time, it's all action. There's not a lot of trying to manage this shit from the couch. It's active, whether that's in therapy or whether that's in making art, as you said earlier, one of my favorite Miles Davis quotes is this, you know, you have to make a lot of art to know who you are. So am I putting words in your mouth when I'm saying that that is what you bring to all this stuff? Because it sounded like that's what you're saying. Yeah, I think 100%. I think you said it better than I could have said it. (laughs) You know, but for me, I'm a, you know, I've learned in therapy, I'm a relational, relational processor. Mm. So the way I, it's just, it's like, I have to get things out and I need to talk about it and I need to, I need to have a back and forth and I might not, I might not even need a little chaos along the support. Like it it all kind of like is a part of it. Um, and I'm constantly trying to, I need some grief, you know, like I need a little like pushback. Uh, mm. I need a little attitude and, and that, I, I don't know, it gets me, it gets my kind of like juices flowing in different ways. And part of that is just being out there and trying to make it and, and not make, I mean like make things and make things and put them out yeah. and trying to like start those conversations and get reactions and, you know, all of that, but. It but, sounds very know, act it sounds very active. Go ahead, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, I mean there's something to be said about it too, because you can't tell me that so many highly creative people have mental health issues, right? And I think that after 10, 15, 20 years of putting yourself out there and being criticized, that plays into your psyche. And I think we have to protect that as well. You know, you have to find the things in life that separate you from all of that. That's something that I've learned recently. That I'm constantly, you know, I want to kind of like keep sacred. Mm. How do you do that? Uh, for me, it's uh, it's about shutting down. It's about getting off the internet. It's about you know being with the people who you know that I love and who are of service to my life and who I'm in service to, and you know, family and my partner and these kind of things. Mm. And, you know, it took me a while to get there, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a process. Uh, thank, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, your art across so many different, um, vectors. It has just been so fun to watch this unfold and, uh, big fan here. Uh, this, this community, man, this community is going to rally behind you. I have high, high regard for your book. I will, uh, I'll just say the title one more. I always think it's forever. A love story set in Paris as told by an unreliable, but earnest narrator (laughs) brilliant absolutely brilliant title the book is even better so recommendation for everyone uh, go check it out um thank you so much for being on the show is there anywhere else you want to steer our attention before we let you go um the book is obviously our we're going to rally around it if you can buy the book that would be wonderful check it out read it share it tell me what you think uh it's a great gift send it to the person in your life that you love send it to your ex send it, you know <laughs> send it to your uncle uh you know yeah appreciate that uh, amazing well thank you so much and uh we will for everyone out there in the world um thank you so much for paying attention please check out timothy's work extraordinary on so many different um different media uh and always we're happy to support whatever project you've got going timothy and until next time for appreciate you man. For Timothy and yours truly, we bid you, until next time, adieu.
All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Mm-hmm.